Galatians 5, verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This scripture talks about the fact that Jesus is paid to set us free. Not to be entangled again with a yoke of slavery. People had stepped into the Galatian church and they were trying to add a bunch to what Jesus had done. Yeah, Jesus plus. But also the yoke of slavery that we've been delivered from is the slavery to bondage to sin. And he doesn't want us to be entangled with that either. He doesn't want us to be entangled with the law or with sin. And the truth is, if you're still in sin, you're still under the law. And the power of sin is the law. <laughs> if you really come into the, the true grace of God, you'll be free. And, and you'll never allow the devil access again. This vision, this truth can become so clear that it's just, you see in the spiritual realm, the reality of it just as clear as you can see right here in this room. We've been studying in Bible study Ephesians. We went uh, first three chapters two weeks ago, and then the chapters three through six this week. So the first three chapters talks about all the wonderful things that we have. It's doctrinal, it's spiritual. It talks about our position in Christ in the heavenly realms and all the things that have been done in us and for us and all the things that we have and the power that we are and, and have in Him. But then the, the last half of the, the book of Ephesians 3-6 through 6, is all practical, functional, day-to-day -day application of the things that have been bestowed upon us and done in us. You see, there has to be an outworking of these things. True saving faith will always be accompanied by corresponding actions. Hello? That makes sense? True saving faith. If you really believe, if I believe this building is on fire, I'm probably going to exit the building. That's, you see, it's going to cause me to do something. I hope so too. <laughs> if I really believe by some of the things I might do or say, I'm opening a door and inviting the devil to come in and produce death in my life, I ain't going to do it. The fact that I continue to do it says that I don't really believe. It says that I look around and I do this sin of comparison. Well... And I start saying, well, you know, <laughs> I haven't been struck by lightning yet, so I'll take a couple more steps in that direction. Listen, it doesn't always come right away. I told you that last week. You look at uh, you look at some of the Old Testament things and how they went along fine for a while, and then all the things they had been sowing. They began to reap. <laughs> this spiritual law of sowing and reaping is very real. It's, it's never going to pass away, the Bible says, ever. As long as there's a, a world here. Which may not be that long, much longer. But hey, we have to prepare and act like, like it's going to be a long time before Jesus comes. 
And we also have to prepare and act like it's tomorrow or today. This, 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 this powerful book of Ephesians, and I don't know why I'm just lingering there, but it's just it's so powerful. It tells us all the things that we've been delivered from this sin nature. We've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness for this life. Everything we'll ever need. It's all in the spiritual realm. And we obtain those things provided by the grace of God through faith. That's how we get them to manifest into this natural realm where we can use them. And so the last half of the book talks about all the practical applications. Our conduct in relation to our families, our husbands and wives, our jobs, our children. Our relationship with God and the Holy Spirit and as it pertains to the devil and how we deal with him. So powerful. But there needs to be that light needs to shine, you know. People, we can't just do the first third half of uh, Ephesians and learn all about God and all about what we have and, and who we are in Him and never ever see the outworking of these things. You see? I heard it, I've heard it many times in the, uh, in the food and service industry that those people who work as waiters and Wait staff and things like that in restaurants. The, the day they hate the most is Sunday. Because Christians come in and they treat them badly and they don't tip. Not everyone, I understand. There are those like us, thankfully. But you know, sometimes it's just, we just... We leave Jesus at church and I think we just get so caught up we don't even really think about our witness a lot of times. Does this honor God? How is this person doing? I, I, I seem like I heard a story about a group of about 15 or 20 that went to a restaurant last Sunday after church. And wonderful time, perfectly good intentions. Very hard working young man helping them out and he was frustrated. He flustered he was overwhelmed and screwed up quite a bit just trying to get things right and but god bless him he he was struggling and when all that congregation poured out of there someone lingered behind and and the holy spirit said it's more than that it's it's more than just overwhelmed there's more to it. So this person stayed behind and struck up a conversation and said, tell me what's going on and what happened. And what had happened is that church had, had, had basically stiffed the young man out of over, you know, it ended up being over a hundred bucks. And he was going to have to pay for it. And... He was so humble and kind, and he didn't want anyone to worry about it. But uh, thankfully, the Holy Spirit put it upon that one person to hang back and said, Oh, no, that's not happening. And and please forgive us. And these are good people. And we just got so, you know, sidetracked, and we're, we're going to take care of everything and, and more, you know. And uh, I think the young man's name is Alex, and he works right down the road on Jones Road. 
get a chance to go by and be a blessing to him. He surely does deserve it. He's a good guy. But these are just the practical outworking of the Christian life that sometimes we just, you know, hey man, you're doing a great job. How are you doing today? How are you? Not what about me and... Yeah. We've all done it. Believe me. I'm just trying to make us be mindful to walk this life out. Not just learn about it. And be puffed up about it when we're actually... <laughs> the Christian that lives next door to us says, well, you know, I don't need that. I mean, the, the non-Christian that lives next door to you says, I don't need that. i got enough trouble in my life. <laughs> but this is the 4th of July. It should be a celebration. It should be like Thanksgiving, to be honest with you, because in this country we have so much to celebrate. This is one of the only places in the world, really, I don't care what they say in the political environment, this country was founded on God. The real God. The God, the Father of Jesus Christ. And on Jesus Christ Himself and on His teachings and principles. And we should be thankful. I remember, you know, we have... We have Great Britain. We celebrate our, our freedom, independence from Great Britain... <laughs> and now here they are just getting their independence from this European Union and good for them, you know. Maybe they'll allow Jesus back in their country. He's been kicked out for quite a while. I remember 1976. It was a bicentennial year, 200th anniversary of our freedom, and I was in the fifth grade. And we went on, and there was a thing called the Freedom Train that went around the country. And uh, my mom was so excited to send me on uh, to visit that in Houston with a, with a school outing. I was talking to my wife yesterday, that school's not even there anymore. When we got back, we planted a tree outside of the cafeteria. I remember that, and I think the tree is still there. But I was so proud to go there, and, and I... I saw the things that belonged to a lot of the founding fathers and things like that, and we really were excited. A lot of changes in those last 40 years. A lot. Many people see today as just an extra holiday. You know, not probably sad that it fell on Sunday this year because they don't get an extra day off. <laughs> I don't know, maybe they do. <laughs> Oh, it's tomorrow. My, my bad. Today's the third. Okay. I thought this was the fourth. <laughs> no. Okay. So that's scratch that. <laughs> but, you know, just a day to, to have some fireworks or barbecue. Indulge some vices. Or just relax. And, but I wonder how much thankfulness is, is really going on, you know, to God. Thankfulness to God, not just thankful to be off work or thankful for ice chest full of beer or whatever. Thankfulness to God for our freedom, the freedom we enjoy here in this nation. Freedom from tyranny, things that these kids don't even understand today. Words they never heard of. Government controlled church. How about taxation without representation? Wow. You know? 
in, in, in back when when we had the, the the war for independence, you know, they had decided that you know we, they would send the the British army over here, and uh, and people like you had to put them up in your house and feed them and take care of them for free. And then all the things that were being shipped into the country, there was like a thirty percent tax placed on them to money to go back to England. You see. <laughs> That's taxation without representation. We didn't get to vote on it. We didn't have a say. They said enough's enough. We enjoy great prosperity here in this country. And it's due to the godly biblical values and principles that our country was founded on. And we're barely hanging on by a thread to those values and to that constitution. I'll be honest with you. Our nation was founded with a godly heritage and our founding fathers were largely very religious Christian men. They never intended for our government or our culture to be void of Christ's influence. That's the truth. As a matter of fact, they all felt that a democracy would never work if Christian, godly, biblical influence were ever withdrawn or excluded. As it is now. When you see our, our White House all lit up in the colors of the rainbow to celebrate something that is an abomination to God. The world's confused right now. And a lot of it comes because when they see Christians that are against certain things, the Christians come off as being against those people. And that's a mistake. We're not against anyone. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. Those people that this hatred is pointed to are deceived by the devil. And the best thing can ever happen to them is that your light would shine into their life and they would get the truth about the love of God and be delivered and free from these things that they're in bondage to. The British, they blamed what is known as the Black Regiment for the American Revolution. It was called the Black Regiment because it was the preachers who wore black robes back then. They said there would still be a happy British colony here if it weren't for the preachers in America back then. They started all the trouble. When the British came to New York City, they burned ten of the 19 churches to the ground. And then they burned churches all over Virginia and other places. And the preachers always got the worst of, of the treatment. Because they had a voice back then. Now they're feckless. You know? We have a family here today who went to a, a much larger church this morning. I probably shouldn't tell this, but you don't tell me anything if you don't want me to preach it. <laughs> but they walked in. It was like a store in there, like a mall, a shopping mall. And I know that church, and, I, and I'm friends with the pastor and his wife, and they're wonderful people. But let me tell you, there's no power there. If you're sick, they'll send you to a doctor. If they try to encourage you to go on a mission trip to Mexico, they'll they'll subsidize it by telling you, hey, don't worry about anything. They sell Prozac over the counter there. 
Things like that I've heard preached from the pulpit in that very church. Matter of fact, that's the church where I heard the preacher say that that young man was going to die. No power. And they shortened the messages to something that's sure not to offend. You see? How, how can you grow? How can you be strong in the Lord and know what you have if you've never given any challenges or convictions from the pulpit? There was a, a book written by a man named Clinton Rossiter from Cornell University. I've told some of these stories in the past, but I think they're worth retelling. He was at Cornell until 1970 when he died. He wrote Seed Time in the Republic. Is very highly acclaimed, and the book was too, where very widely spread, many awards, etc. But it was based on one question Where did these ideas that America came up with in this great Declaration of Independence? It's, 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 it's considered one of the greatest documents in the world, and part of it is because of its brevity. But where did they come up with the ideas for this founding document? No other countries in the world were using these concepts that made America great, you see. And where did they come from? That was his whole premise of this book he wrote in the middle of the 20th century. So he went about systematically researching and finding out who were the most influential people and what he came up with was that there were six people who had profound effects on the nation and the forming of this nation and the document that that brought it together. And out of those six who shaped our nation, according to Rossiter, four of them were preachers. The Reverend John Wise was one of them. He lived in Massachusetts in the 1680s to the early 1700s. And 1687, he preached a sermon saying, All men are created equal and endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. 1687. Also, by 1687, a sermon saying, according to taxation in the Bible, it's clear that taxation without representation is tyranny. Are you starting to see how this all developed? This is like 70 years before anything happened. Another sermon by 1687 looked into all the biblical forms of government around the world. Monarchies, republics, democracies... And it determined based on biblical truths. It's clear that God's preferred form of government is the consent of the governed. Sound familiar? Of the people. For the people. By the people. So all three of these things ended up being claused in the Declaration of Independence. Because in 1772... Over 80 years after he had sown these seeds of the word into the colonies, the founding fathers took his sermons and reprinted them in a book which spread all over America. It had many reprints. People were reading it, passing it on, and asking for more. Everybody got a hold of this book of sermons. It was helping people to renew their minds, or to think biblically about government. You see? So John Wise, he's preaching all this in the 1680s, and in 1772 it gets reintroduced to Americans 
And all these godly biblical ideas four years later end up in the Declaration of Independence. All came from the pulpit. And no coincidence, seeing how God works, that through his marriage, John Wise was a great uncle to John Adams. Even Calvin Coolidge says that John Wise was instrumental in the writing of the Declaration of Independence. So see, when I was a kid, I was in, when I was taking political science and history in high school and in college, I, I just thought that, you know, it was Thomas Jefferson. I, saw, I remember a film, Thomas Jefferson up there in the room trying to hack this out. Ben Franklin and Adams would stop by and bug him once in a while. It wasn't like that. This is all stuff that they, they probably had this book sitting on his shelf in his library, you see, of these sermons from John Wise from many, many years before. And it had been passed throughout the colonies and it was familiar thinking and teaching in the colonies because it had come from the pulpit, from the word of God, these ideals. It had never been done in any country before, in any government before. There was a lady named Alice Baldwin. She was an amazing woman at Duke University, and she was the dean of the Women's Undergraduate University, 1926, till she retired in 47. She fought for women's rights and all sorts of wonderful things. She was very well known and a great historian. She read probably through her research search, more of the old sermons from early American history than anyone who ever lived. And she said... There's 27 clauses in the Declaration of Independence. There's not a single right asserted in the Declaration of Independence which had not been preached from the American pulpit prior to 1763. So by the time we get to 1776, the Declaration of Independence is just a summary of the sermons they had been hearing in church for the past several years in the colonies, you see? Then the British attacked us. They sent 55,000 troops and 28,000 sailors to attack us. And when the fighting started, it was usually the pastors of the local church who was leading his congregation out to fight and defend themselves and their loved ones and their God-given rights. In the Battle of Lexington, it was the Reverend Jonas Clark who led 150 men from his church out to meet the British in battle. Reverend Peter Muhlenberg preached a message from the pulpit in Woodstock, Virginia. And he quoted Ecclesiastes 3. There is a time for everything. And a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Then he took off his robe and he was dressed for battle with his sword on his side. And he led 300 men from that church who enlisted and they became the 8th Virginia Brigade. George Washington himself asked him to take the position of colonel. 
His brother Frederick was also a minister. He didn't approve of his brother joining the army. But when they burned his church down, he joined too. (laughs) The whole point of all this is just to show you that the church and Christians were not only a big part of the fabric of this nation's beginnings, but it was always intended to be that way. Amen. And to stay that way. We've been deceived. Today, people lean on Matthew twenty two twenty one says, Oh, therefore, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they, they use that as the basis of separation of church and state. Wrong. There's a conjunction there. It says not or, it's and. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. He wants us to renew our minds. The Lord Jesus has paid a high price. He gave everything for us to walk in this victory and to be the light of the world and to be the salt. But we got to get out of the salt shaker. He wants us to renew our minds through the washing of the water of the Word. To walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and in agreement with the Spirit and not with the flesh. He wants us to grow in our personal relationship with Him and to walk in agreement in power, in love. We have to be a greater influence in this world is the whole point. Just a few people of the early church turned the whole world upside down in just a number of years. The church has become weak and the church, the preachers are responsible because they have not preached the entirety of the the gospel. The power, the provision, the authority that have been given to Christians And we have to repent and we have to begin to teach the entire counsel of God so that you can walk in greater victory and power and courage. Knowing who you are in Christ and what you have and the authority that has been given to you to use the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name that can be named. We can walk as His representatives in in great light and love and truth and integrity and, and His principles. Hebrews 11 is the great faith chapter we know in the Bible. Everyone mentioned in verse 32 were all involved in civil government. Moses, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. It's not a bad thing to be involved in the world. Just don't be a part of it. This is not your home. But your influence is supposed to be here. Scripture says pray in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Paul says, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. There are five influential aspects of our society. Business, education, government, the media and entertainment, and the pulpit. And the Bible has instructions for every one of them. For business, for education, for all of them. The law mostly comes from government principles. You go to court today, you'll see, I mean, godly principles. You'll see that without the Ten Commandments, they would have never even had a legal system. It was all based on the Word of God initially. 
The same things are in here regarding architecture. Believe me, how do you think these men have, have made exact replicas of Noah's Ark? Have you seen them? Because it's all in here. Parenting, it's all in here. How to deal with your spouse, the godly way, so you get wonderful results. In here. Everything that we need is in here. During the Great Awakening, I should say the, the first Great Awakening, between 1731 and 1755, preachers just preach what God said about the things that were the, the current events of the day in the newspapers. They took what they read in the newspapers, they went and told you what God had to say about the things that were going on. And that was it. That's how people found out what to think about current events. Because the preacher would share what God says about it. Now, like I said, in the 1500s when the devil couldn't burn and get rid of all the Bibles, he just joined the church. So now there's so much confusion that if you don't hear what you like at one church, you can go to another. But listen, God has a way around that. If you will pray and seek the Lord with all your heart, you will find it. That's His promise in Jeremiah. Right? So... A real Christian knows the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not going to follow another. So you need to get sensitive to the Holy Spirit. How do we grow in our relationship with someone? Spend time with them. Amen. Spend time with them. You have to spend You can't microwave your relationship with God. You have to spend time with Jesus in His Word. When you go to pray, do you take your Bible with you? You should. There was a, a preacher named Tunis Warpman. In the early years of the United States, he preached a message that said, a voice of warning regarding the ensuing election for President of the United States. That was the name of his sermon. He said, there's two parties, two candidates, and here is what each one says. So, based on the Word of God, there's no way a Christian can, in good conscience, vote for this candidate in party such and such. And that was it. That was it. Nowadays, preachers are afraid. They might take away my 501c3. Who cares? They can't anyway because of the Constitution. In America, this is how they did it, though, for 350 years. For 350 years, because America was here way before we became... United States. The pilgrims came here trying to get away from religious persecution, you see, or Christianity. Not Muhammad's nonsense. He was deceived and a deceiver and a liar and a murderer, and he's still in his grave. He can't help you. Only Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. So what happened? 350 years, people based their thoughts and opinions on what they could determine from the Word of God. What He said about these things. In 1954, there was a rider to an appropriations bill that slid right through Congress without any debate. It says, if you're a 501c3, we need to edit your speeches be before you give them. We don't want you talking about political stuff anymore. This was for ministries, not for churches. But the IRS 
in the late 60s reinterpreted this, this deal and said, we think it should apply to churches. But the truth is, churches are tax-exempt without a letter from the IRS. A ministry or organization is different, but a church can't lose its tax exemption because churches are tax-exempt based on the Constitution. It's important that we know that and stand up for that. <clears throat> but if any of you become preachers, if you become, a, if you have a church, and if anything does happen, if they change our Constitution and say they'll take away, let them. Let them take away your tax exemption before they take away your truth. You'd much rather say what God says. Amos tells us that God's shepherds are supposed to be the plumb bob or the level of righteousness. And this country was founded and built on that principle and for 350 years, starting well before it was a nation, that's the way it was. But now, issues like marriage and abortion, what a boy is and what a girl is, public religious expression, education, all these are biblical issues but the government has decided that the church has to stay out of it. No, no, no. These were biblical issues way before they were political issues. And if it's in the Bible, it should be talked about in church. We're entitled to free speech. Free exercise of our religion. And the right to assemble. And we should be thankful for those things. But we have to fight for those things every day. This left-wing news media, our educational institutions, all the major influences on our culture. We need to be taking them back. They need to be taken back by God-fearing, Jesus-loving, Bible-based Christians who will share God's truth and love. God's ways and character and love. God's values and love. We need to get better at conveying the difference between hating the sin and hating the sinner. The world doesn't understand it. They just call you a hater. How do you overcome that? You love those sinners that Jesus died for until God gives you an open door to shed light on the truth about the sin. We need to be able to express God's heart in all the arenas of influence in our culture. And we have to be praying about opportunities and better ways to do that. And for the truth to come from the pulpit and to disciple God's children to be better witnesses. So that they're not just haters. Because many of them sitting in church are just haters. Trust me, the church is much smaller than we really think. Because if they're just a religious hypocrite and a hater sitting in a church, then they're just a religious hypocrite and a hater sitting in a church. They're not a Christian. But neither are they a Christian if they begin to call those things that are evil good. So we need to find out what God says about these things. We need to get back to the core values that our country was founded upon. It's only been the past 50 or 60 years that we've gone so far from God. Presidents of the United States 
in the not so distant past used to pray in the name of Jesus to the nation, with the nation. They used to preach sermons on certain occasions to the nation. Do you know that? On the radio. Thomas Jefferson, whom the liberal educators like to call an atheist, he signed at least one document in particular in which he designated federal funds to Christian missionaries to go and evangelize Indian tribes. And he signed the document in his own writing in the, in the year of our Lord Christ. The separation of church and state was never meant for the government to dictate what the church could do and say. It was intended to protect the rights of the church. Not until the things I mentioned to you before when the IRS and, 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 the, and the, that silly bill that went through the, slid through Congress and then the IRS changed it. Not until that stuff happened did anyone even think of the separation of church and state the way they look at it now. It used to be we were separated from state because they couldn't mess with us and tell us what to say. We never were supposed to not be an influence upon the state. The separation was so that they had no influence over us. And it needs to get back to that. God has a plan for, for lawyers, for those in media, for families, for health care, for ministers of the gospel, for politicians, for all the government programs, for the military for everything that we talk about, everything that's an issue in our culture today, God has a plan for those things. And so we need to get involved in all the, the areas of this life. Christians, we need godly lawyers and godly doctors and godly everything. School teachers and judges, please. It's gotten to where I, I can't even celebrate when someone comes to me and tells me that they're sending their child to a university. I have to go, well, let's talk about this. Because if they're a baby, if they're immature in their faith, they may not come home with any. I know that we know lots and lots of people like that right now, and we're praying every day and believing for God to, to reach them because they've been so strongly influenced by the, the liberal agendas of, of all these uh, educators and politicians. George Washington was so popular in this country that he could have become a king. They say that, that if that's what he would have wanted, the people would have done it. But he was a godly man. And he wanted the things that God wanted for this country. He decided that whatever God said... That settles it. And the things that the clergy had determined were best for this nation from the pulpit were the things that he embraced and, and agreed with. We need to get like Reverend Muhlenberg and say, it's time to fight. We need to learn to fight against the spiritual enemies of the people of our country who would mislead them and take them down this dark road of destruction. We need to be educated in the word of God and we need to educate others so that we will be able to discern the good and perfect will of God regarding all things pertaining to this life I'm telling you it's we are we are at a crossroads we need to stand at that crossroads and pray and ask God to show us the ancient paths his way his truth 
and not be influenced by the things of this world. If we don't do something, and if we don't stand strong and try to over to to retake all these great influences on our culture and our country, in politics and in the the entertainment and in the media and in the church, then in the years that it's been since I went to that bicentennial freedom train to now, I see the huge differences from from the time our children or these little children or your age, they may not, they'll have to get the truth of God and the power of God, the messages about these things in some sort of black market and all the real preachers will be in prison or dead. It's that serious. If you don't believe it, then unfortunately that's part of the problem. Yeah, complacency. The devil loves it. And so does uh, people like ISIS and all that. They want us to be complacent and think, oh, well, you know, that stuff's never coming here. These are real threats. But you know what? We have a real God. We can be just like David standing before Goliath. (laughs) You know, I'm going to cut your head off today and do it. Knowing that God is for us and God is with us. Amen? That's right. All right. Praise the Lord. We're going we're gonna to cut you loose today. I, I could go on. But I want to show my gratitude to those of you who came on the 4th of July weekend. <laughs> cut you loose. Amen? God loves you. And He's got great power for you. Great promises but you have to believe it to receive it amen amen Amen. yes thank you lord thank you lord for this day and thank you for the opportunity to worship you in freedom and in truth and to to share your truth and your love with a sick and dying world help us to be strong in your ways in your values Help us to be courageous, Lord, and to not be afraid of man who can't do anything to us. You hold our lives in your hand, Father, and we thank you and we trust you. And we thank you, Jesus, that you have made a way and that now, because of your perfect sacrifice, we can come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find favor in the time of need. Our trust is in you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.